Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. After a two-week layoff, it has arrived. It's Oregon week, boys. Hate week. Let's do it. Woo! We got a full house tonight. We have Connor, Sam. This is Justin. I'm hosting. You're probably like, what the heck is happening? Connor has a little bit of a hoarse voice, so I'm just taking over his duties. That's about all I had right there. Was that? <laughs> that little woo? <laughs> Well, when Connor, I, what, what are you drinking I, tonight? Are you on the Justin train and doing some like hot water with lemon? Did you break out something for Oregon week? What we got? Yeah, no, I wish I was partaking in the alcoholic beverages, but uh, I am I am I am coming off the mend right now. So I am um, just drinking some water and then I have a little uh, specialty tea that I, I, I like to make when I'm a little bit under the weather. It's a half half lemonade and half hot water. And then it's two different tea bags. It's like a citrus mint and then a peach tea bag. And then it's just like a teaspoon of honey. So we get with the UW education, the smarts to know when to drink and when to not, right? Oh, I don't it's... know about that. Yeah, no, I <laughs> I had a beer or two over the weekend when I still wasn't feeling that great, but I was on vacation. So I was trying to enjoy myself a little bit. Absolutely. Sam, what are you sipping on? I am sipping on some Kirkland Signature. It, you know, again, it's the same. Yeah. When you go to Costco, you buy in bulk. I'll be working on that bad that bad jug for a for a month or so at least. Probably more Healthy than that. Minute. Yeah. So some Kirkland Signature blended Scotch whiskey, and everybody knows. You know, Connor's trying to be. You know, I'm taking it easy, but when he says tea, we all know what he actually means. He's sipping on some whiskey over there. Just doesn't want it get in trouble with his wife <laughs> uh, how about you justin i've just got a nice simple lager i'm halfway through one i'm probably gonna have another one we'll see how this goes but nothing I think crazy you, i think you'll probably have another one depends how much we ramble you know i think you oh. should have another one we'll just be have one for you connor one for yeah, me one someone's for you. got to we'll be rambling well, there's not much to talk about, right? We had that game in Arizona. We have a new athletic director. It's Oregon week. I mean, I don't really know. Game day. What's that? Yeah, I, what, <laughs> it's tough, it's tough it's to tough. find the headlines. So why don't know. we start with the AD guys? Just real quick. Uh, Troy Dannon from Tulane hired, made official, I believe, Monday morning. So two days ago, as we're recording this on Wednesday night, Sam, I'll start with you. Initial impressions, he had his interview with Softy. He's had one press conference. He did a infomercial about Michael Penix winning the Heisman. Yeah. You know, that's really all we've seen. So what are your first impressions? I mean, I, I've gone through two phases with this. Like The first one, I was like, Tulane? Really? Like, that's where we're going to get our next athletic director? And, you know, I kind of had this, you know, that was my immediate reaction mm -hmm. i think i even texted everybody was like it seems like odd place to grab our next 80 but then i just had to remember to slap myself silly and like where did we where does our amazing coaching staff from they got their start at sioux falls 
So like, don't judge a book from where it's been. That's not exactly the saying, but that's what I'm rolling with. And the more that I have thought about it and learned about his background, the more excited I get just, and you know, AD is a really important position. And, you know, when we got Kalen DeBoer, we were excited about it. We weren't over the moon. It wasn't the sexiest hire, but even at that point in time, we were like, DeBoer wins. Like, wherever he's been, he wins. Sioux Falls, he wins. Eastern Michigan, he wins. Indiana, he wins. Fresno State, he wins. You can do the same thing with Troy Dannon as an athletic director. I mean, those that have paid attention in the college football landscape, like Tulane, they beat USC last year in the bowl game. Like, they finished ranked number nine, one spot behind your Washington Huskies in the final AP poll or CFP poll. It's like Tulane used to suck, like not even that long ago. And so he obviously the coaching staff has a lot to do with that. But Troy Dannon's responsibility is getting the right people in the right jobs. And then the other thing that you might get excited about, and I know I'm looking at Connor when I say this, because I feel like you have a little bit more of an affinity for the men's basketball program than any of us but like university of northern iowa is where he was before tulane and the only reason i know what colors uni wears (laughs) is because of march madness and like they had a good run in the men's basketball program under dannon so i think there's there's plenty to be excited about i don't think it's the sexiest thing but connor i'm curious to get your thoughts especially on the basketball side because lord knows we kind of need a little more pep in our step there. Yeah, you know, I it's an interesting hire. Like obviously I I was in the same boat Sam as as you when I first heard the name. I was like, that seems like kind of a random hire, but the more I read about the guy, the more that I listen to him speak. Um he's saying all the right things too, by the way. Said that he grew up a Sonics fan. I like, heard that. Yeah, the, pushing all the right buttons. Yeah, the, the dude not knows fifty four percent or anything. You know, no, <laughs> no Jerry oh, DePoto's press conferences here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he seems to he seems to have an aggression about him too. Like he he seems to know what it takes to win, and uh, he's going to be aggressive doing it. And if we are able to give him the resources, which is you know a bit of a question mark, just. And he knows what it, if as long as we give him the resources to do that, he is going to find a way to make this program successful for a long time. You know, we didn't really talk about Jen Cohen leaving on this podcast very much. We might have touched on it very briefly, but we didn't really talk at length about it. And I mean, that was kind of a kind of a sad and shocking day for for the athletic department at UW. And she was a great AD, I think, for us. Uh, went on to greener pastures at USC. I mean. You know, say what you will about UW and USC. They are different tiers as far as like the resources involved. And USC is going to be like a top five program in the nation year in and year out. Um, UW's, you know, a top 20 probably. So it's, it, it is a different tier there. Um, but, you know, I like that he talked, he came in going back to Troy. I'm, I, I'm glad that he came in talking about this is a place that you can win championships um, saying all the right things there as well. Sam, you mentioned the basketball thing. It'd be great if you know we could turn that around. I don't think Hopkins is the answer. I think Troy's going to pull the plug on that if it doesn't work out this year. I think Jen yeah. would have anyway, but I also have a lot of great belief that he is going to make a good hire 
at at that head coaching position when it when it becomes vacant, um, when it likely becomes vacant, I should say. Um, and then it's it's all it's going to be all about he he understands that football is king, right? Like I mm-hmm. I love bas- I love college basketball. It was one of my first loves as far as like a sport and stuff like that. But college football is king. That's what brings in the money. He understands that. He knows that he needs to give the resources to Kalen DeBoer in order for that program to be successful. And if that program's successful, then the athletic department's going to be successful. So um, he's hip with NIL. Like he he knows that you got to, I mean, adapt or die, basically. Yeah. Um, so he seems to embrace the change that's happening in this landscape of, of college athletics. And I think he's excited about the opportunity to be in the Big Ten, embraces that as a challenge as well. So I, I'm excited about the hire. I think it's going to be a good hire. I mean, the proof will be in the pudding. Obviously, Jimmy Lake said a lot of good things too, right? Or <laughs> I got the sauce. With him. So um, I know the sauce. The proof will be in the pudding over time. But, you know, he has he has a resume at, at this position at other schools is is the you know counterpoint to that that I think I think this will will prove to be a good hire and maybe even honestly an upgrade over Jen in the long haul. Yeah, gotta has to prove it, right? He said all the right things. I echo everything you said. Um the one thing I'll add that is interesting is he made it clear that UW isn't on the same budgetary plane as some of our big big ten brethren. Exactly. And we need seven home games in football. And so that casts in a lot of people's doubts, the cast the doubt that the Apple cup will be played annually in Pullman and Seattle trade-off. So I guess biannually in each city, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you guys feel about that? Uh, I'll start Apple cup. I mean, it's so sentimental to me. It's sad, but at the same time, I'd rather have UW be on the big stage. And if that means the Apple cup isn't played every year, then so be it. That's my, I'm probably in the minority there. I'm sad about it, but I think if it's played once every two or three years, I'm okay with it. What do you guys, what do you guys think though? Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, the tradition of it, I just want it to remain the same in so many Mm -hmm. ways. I mean, it's my childhood and growing up with cougars, cougars in the family or at school and having apple cup parties and all like it's, something that I really want in my heart to remain the way that it is. But at the end of the day, Wazoo doesn't want to play that game anymore. They don't want to play it. It's a bad economic move for us. Well, I don't want any part. That's kind of dumb just to interject. That's kind of dumb if they don't want to play it. Right. Because that's a lot. I mean, they have budgetary concerns too. And so if they don't play it here or in Seattle at Lumen field or something, if there's an agreement, then they're losing. No, I, I agree from like an athletic department perspective, if that's what you're boiling it down to the, the win-win scenario is that we do like a neutral site every other year at Lumen Mm -hmm. field. And then the other year is at Husky stadium and then at Lumen Field, the Huskies get, I don't know, 70% of the ticket revenue or something like that, 70% of the tickets to distribute. So it's not such a big hit to our home game revenues. And and yeah, I can understand from a Wazoo athletic department perspective, 
that that would make sense and that they would want to do that because it's monetarily beneficial to them. But I'm talking about like my friends, my family that are Kook fans that I grew up with. And that dynamic of what the tradition and the sentimentality of the game is, is dead and will never be the same. Like if that game's not played in Pullman every other year, it's not the same game. The fans don't care as much. Like, I just don't think that I think it's that aspect of it is dead. And so there's part of me that just like also thinks the best move forward is just to have a clean break and just it's done. And I think there I, I'm sad about it. I wish that wasn't the case, but I think it is what it is. Yeah, it's a symptom. That. It's it's just a symptom of of the changing landscape in college football. I mean, it it was going to be a matter of time before something like this probably happened just because of the money that is behind college football and the way that realignment is going and the tier status as far as like the success of both of these programs um monetarily and on the and on the field so um it's it is sad and and I love Apple Cup it's one of my favorite weeks of the year um just because of the tradition of it um, and because we win well and we win a lot <laughs> nice. you just you really never know what's going to happen though right too it's, yeah it, it's one of those rivalry games that you know both teams typically get up for there's been some classics over the years right um some of my favorite college football memories are in apple cup you know specifically going to pullman too because we won both times that i i've i've been over there for apple cup and um you know i'll I'll have those memories like forever but it's well, sad that I won't, I, I won't be going to pullman for another apple cup like that yeah. like the the reality of that hasn't really set in for me yet but uh, as we near the end of this year and approach the apple cup last traditional apple cup in seattle in 2023 i'm going to be looking ahead and being like wow i i'm going to hold on to this game and best believe the kooks are going to be out for blood in that yeah, game. Yeah. That's going to be a way. gnarly game. Um so I think it... just doubling down on your point too, especially for our generation, like <laughs> both of our teams, both of our football programs sucked ass like our whole childhood pretty much. Like all we had for whether you're a coog or a dog, all we had was the Apple Cup. So yeah, like there's like a the mid 2000s. Yeah, like there's a level of importance on that game for our generation in particular too that just adds mm-hmm. to like the shittiness that it this is the reality of where we're headed yeah it was, it was bragging rights in the state like that that meant yeah. something you know and now now it's dead so justin go ahead no i think you guys put it really well but Let's talk about the, you know, we'll we'll have Wazoo week. We'll talk all about it, yeah. or you will, because I'll be on PTO. But you two will talk all about it. <laughs> but before we get into Oregon, let's just quickly recap the yes. UW versus Arizona win. 31-24. <laughs> As people are saying, UW struggled and held on for a one-score victory. Nail-biter, Noah Fafita going off against the dogs, all sorts of things. So just recapping, pretty ugly on the offensive side of the ball. Lots of penalties. You had 
um, the Jeremy Bernard fumble on the five yard line, uh, just uh, Arizona taking the deep ball away. So Penix having to be patient and dink and dunk it a little bit more than we're used to. I thought Dylan Johnson had a really nice game. I think yeah. 90, 91 yards, two touchdowns. What do you guys think? How are, are you painting it more in your mind of, man, we struggled to get out of there, but a win's a win. And I'm happy that we got that close win or Arizona, or you are more in my camp thinking it wasn't that close of a game. Like we, we didn't play well, but I didn't think it was honestly that close. So where you got Connor, I'll start with you this time. Cause I watched it with you. How do you, how do you feel? Yeah. After yeah, this had had the pleasure of hosting Justin uh, for a for a, a projector game in my backyard, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think I we, didn't get we I both... didn't get the invite in case you definitely, that's fake news. <laughs> definitely did. Getting Sam definitely to go anywhere did. is a struggle. So, jeez, oh, well, no, I I get it. You wanted to see your parents. They just gotten back into town. Hi, Sam. Hi, Julie. By the way, thank you yeah. for you know raising such an amazing boy and and having him be our friend. Cheers to Daddy Sam and as she goes by these days, Gaga. Gaga. Ah. It? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty close to my mom. My mom's Yaya. So yeah. Uh, you gotta, same, you gotta choose the two syllable things. Um, anyway. Justin, I remember I remember the first thing that you said after that game. And you're just like, I just feel gross. <laughs> I just feel gross. Um yeah, it was one of those things that I was a little let down after the game. Not so much that it was close, but that we didn't like put the nail in the coffin like we should have. You know, there were multiple opportunities to to finish that game, and that's something that you know I feel like this team's been doing pretty well so far this year is really putting the game out of hand, and they didn't really do that in this game. So that was that was a little bit of a letdown for me. Um, but you talked about the the Bernard fumble inside the five yard line. That was that that should have been the final score of the game. What that would have been 31, 38 to seventeen at the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So and I think there was what five minutes left or six minutes left or something like that. Maybe in the game a little bit more than that. Yeah. Yeah. But less than ten minutes left, and um. We had just kind of recaptured momentum and then, you know, he fumbles it inside the five and kind of gave Arizona some life. Um, and then on the ensuing possession, Dixon misses an interception. And that was another chance to kind of put the game away. So it was just yeah. kind of a series of missed opportunities to really put the game away. And uh, so that 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 was kind of the letdown for me. Same time. It's Tucson. We never typically play very well in in the desert. Um so it was kind of expected that it might be a little bit of a tougher game, uh, albeit with, against a backup quarterback and backup running back. But, you know, you really do say a win's a win at this point, and and you move on, and you got it. It shouldn't have been as close as it was. There was a couple lucky plays for Arizona to kind of stay in it, and you still got the win. I think last year's team doesn't win this game, by the way. I think they probably let this slide. Because I think I think the defense last year had like no resistance, whereas this one has a little bit at least. Yeah, a little bit of bend to it. <laughs> quite a bit of bend, but not not quite a full break. 
Well, if you remember, Sam, I watched the in 2016 at your parents' house. We watched the UW versus Arizona game together after yes. I think the Fremont Brew Festival or what a beer festival, and oh, uh, that I went to overtime. Yeah, and we didn't do that this time. And we almost lost that in overtime, like right. rounding through an absolute laser to John Ross in the back of the end zone. That's who it was intended to. And like Pettis caught it in this like really weird body control backwards jump thing. And it was just like, how did he catch that? But thank God we won. I mean, I, I echo a lot of the same sentiments in terms of the score shows 31-24. If anybody watched the game, outside of that final two drives that Connor just mentioned, the Jer- Jeremy Bernard fumble and then the dropped interception, that's a 14-point swing. Outside of the last five minutes of the game, the game was never in question. Like, no. the Huskies were dominating this game. Like, it was ugly. It wasn't as artistic and, you know, taking the top off the defense type of game that we've gotten used to the previous four weeks. But at the end of the day, this there was never a moment, even as, like, disappointed I, as I was or, you know, a little bit nervous that, like, things weren't going as smoothly as previous weeks, there was never a moment of doubt in my mind, like, who the better team was. So I think that's just a worthy talking point. I mean, 31-24 looks like this game was in question. It really wasn't until those last couple of plays that broke Arizona's way, and we do have it as a learning experience on film that step on their throats and close the game out I think what I want to talk about, though, was my main takeaway was like I walked away. And this is like my self-awareness of 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 the fact that I'm just like the craziest UW homer of all time. Like I walked away from the game feeling like, holy shit, Arizona is a good team. (laughs) And I had to like talk myself off that like I'm just making excuses like we didn't play very well. It was a backup freshman quarterback. They didn't even have their best running back. Like, there's no way that Arizona is a good team and should have played us that close. <clears throat> Arizona goes out with the same exact team. Noah Fafita, backup freshman quarterback. No Wiley at running back. And for all intents and purposes, they should have beat USC this past weekend. That went to mm-hmm. double overtime, right? Triple overtime. Triple overtime. Arizona should have won that game. And so that Arizona team is good. Their offensive line is great. Their running backs are tough to tackle. Fafita, I mean, we were calling him Smurf because he's like 5'8 on a good day. He, he, you know, how much credit to give him, I'm still a little bit up in the air on, but he's played well. But those wide receivers is the main thing I want to call out because last year's defense, Connor kind of mentioned, like, we probably don't win this game last year. Jacob Cowing and Tetaroa McMillan are NFL wide receivers. And you can make an argument that those are the best two wide receiver duo that we're going to face in the conference. I mean, you got Troy Franklin at Oregon. I don't know who their number two guy I mean, is. as a duo, I think you're probably. So the fact that we were able to hold them to 24 points and really hold, held them to 17 for the majority of the game is like last year's defensive backfield that we rolled out there gets torched by these guys. And so I'm looking at this as like a great time for a learning experience, a little bit of a humbling experience 
but that's a Arizona's not a bad team is my main takeaway. And the fact that like we did find a way to win and things were starting to spiral, not in our direction at the end of the game, you know, comes down to the onside kick type scenario, which luckily Rome didn't break ribs at hopefully. I mean, Jesus, hopefully yeah. he's going to be scary. Yes. But I mean, that was my main takeaway at first. I was like hesitant to let myself feel that way that Arizona was good, but seeing the performance that the Wildcats had this past weekend is more than affirming that like that's a good Pac-12 team we're in the meat of our schedule and like we're just not going to be blowing teams out like we did the first four weeks of the season so get used to it it's unrealistic to think that will happen every week unfortunately because we've been accustomed to that you know it's been so comfortable it's been it's so cozy yeah and this was what did I say it's about to get very not it's about to be very (laughs) gross yeah but as you said, I think our opening draft, 12 plays, 95 yards, touchdown, 7 plays, 57 yards, touchdown, 12 plays, 73 yards, touchdown, and then we had a 23 seconds, and we almost got into field goal range at 42 yards. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our whole first half. We had a crappy first drive out of the half, and then another touchdown. We had a field goal. We would have scored another touchdown, but there was a fumble. I mean, it's we're moving. Yeah. Like, and you I know, think that's... 31 points. This offense is good. Like Penix still threw for like what 360 with 75% completion. Like, yes, that is a big call didn't, out. They didn't st- stop us, really. Yeah. And like people are talking shit. You know, Penix got held to no touchdowns. That he played that game as perfect as you want your quarterback to play. Like they're taking that ball away over the top. He played within the system, what the defense gave him, and he picked them apart. All night. All Without night. our second best receiver. And you saw what Arizona, you talk about affirmation and them playing USC. And I know we'll move on here in a second, but they manned up those receivers. They went toe to toe with the USA receivers and said, Caleb Williams beat us. And Caleb Williams did because he made some amazing throws. But yeah, but he didn't have the day that Penix did. No. And yes, he the was touchdown like- numbers are different, but. Wasn't he like four for 17 in the first half or something? Maybe not that bad. Yeah, I don't remember, but he finished 14 for 25. 14. 14 completed passes. Yeah, it was mostly his legs. Yeah, I mean, he has some amazing escape things and all sorts of things. But Arizona couldn't do that to our offense. They didn't even try to man us up because they would have got burned so bad if they did that. Yeah. And so... If they're going to dink and dunk and allow us to run for whatever five yards a carry or whatever it was, then fine. Brilliant. <laughs> Anything else from this Arizona game you guys want to mention? Sam, you brought up the Roma Dunze. Uh, I think Brian Grubb on Monday said he should, is ready to go. So that's good. Uh, do we know? Uh, I, I might have missed. Do we know Thule's status? Questionable. I, I think he's probably questionable, but it, it sounds optimistic, but I think Connor's kind of brought this up. I don't think we brought it up live on the air, but this coaching staff, first of all, just like tip a cap to them. They're very open and they talk about a lot in their press conferences. One of the things that we are kind of finding out throughout this season is like, they definitely lean the Pete Carroll optimistic timetable for injury return. Mm. And like, you know, they've dangled Jalen McMillan. Oh, yeah, he's going to play. Like, two weeks in a row, didn't happen. Asa Turner's, like, really close. Haven't seen him. So, Thule's a big one, guys. 
especially going into this week against Oregon. Their rushing attack is really good. We got to have Thule, even if we get him for 50% of the snaps that he normally plays. Like, we got to have him. Yeah. If you if you pick any of the players that are kind of like ha- have had bumps and bruises along the way, if you're talking McMillan, even Rome, even Asa, even Bulow, like Thule's the guy that you really want for this game. Yeah. It's exactly it, yeah, it's exactly what Sam said there. It's because of that rushing attack that Orkin presents. So that's it's a it's a big it's a big loss if he's not suited up on Saturday. I will not feel very good if if that's the case. Yeah. Well, regardless, we should... this isn't gonna be a cozy game against Oregon. No, no. Saturday, ABC, 12 30 p.m. It's a purple out. College game day with Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler on the call. There's basically Ooh. no other game to go against us in that window of time because USC Notre Dame is late. I think it's like Tennessee versus some shit stain in the SEC. So yeah, it's our moment. Recruits are coming. They're announcing left and right. Come for this atmosphere. Come for this game. See oh, what yeah. this rivalry is all about. UW all time against Oregon, 61, 48, and 5. What's that? Come again? What was that? A winning record of 61 and 48, and then some ties probably back in the Hold on. My my friends down in Eugene are hard of hearing. Say that one more time. You know, Eugene needs to learn uh and that history didn't start in 1995. Yeah. Please. Amen. But but with that said, they have had our number since then. But not last year. Not last, last year. Last year, we went to their house, slammed that door shut after they couldn't convert that fourth and one, kicked the game-winning f- field goal, Peyton Henry, to do a full circle on his oh, yeah. college career of missing down in Austin, what, three or four years prior. So, guys, this, this is a big one. This is one of the biggest games of UW football in our lifetimes. I don't think that's hyperbole. No, not at all. Definitely not, not at all. Like as I, mean, a, I was talking to Sam before the episode, sorry, and I think this is in my lifetime, not number one, but top five game without thinking just for I, the implications honestly, and the rivalry. A hundred percent just in the moment. I can't rank anything above the Alabama game college football mm-hmm. playoff. Like just mm-hmm. going into that game, the way that I felt like, oh my gosh, I, this is not bigger than that in my mind. No. I'd be hard pressed to find a second one. Like I know we were talking off mic about like the Rose Bowl with Ohio State and I mean Rose Bowl versus Purdue. Yeah. Well, yeah, we were we were little young yeah. back then. Yeah. Colorado Pac-12 championship to get us to the playoffs. Yeah, so like yeah. there's arguments to be made, but like there are very Regu- few regular season game though. Regular no, season. This yeah. is number one. I mean, it is your most bitter hated rival. This is the first top 10 matchup for the Pac-12 in the regular season since, what was it, like 2008 or something crazy like that? I mean, as a conference, you haven't had a top 10 matchup like this in a decade. And let alone that it's like the most bitter rivals in the conference, in the region. Like, game days here... On, well, yeah, on our oh, way yeah. out, but at least we're going together. Like this rivalry, this talk about like 
catapulting this rivalry to the national stage. Like, as Justin mentioned, there's going to be millions and millions of eyes on this game. Us going to the Big Ten together, we're going to, you know, we talked, we already prefaced this by the Apple Cup is going to be changing every November, rivalry week, Thanksgiving week, UW and Oregon are going to be playing every year in the Big Ten. And so, like, to be able to launch into that national stage, however the game goes, is like a perfect pedestal to introduce this rivalry. Cause I feel like the UW Oregon rivalry doesn't get the national attention it deserves. Like it is, we fucking hate each other. Like we really hate each other. <laughs> like there's like UW Wazoo, there's like Michigan, Ohio State, like you know Michigan Ohio State's pretty hated, right? No, I, I know they hate each other. <laughs> I know they hate each other, but I there's some things I want to say that I'm not going to say about Oregon. Like I hate Oregon and everything that they stand for. And I don't think to your point, Sam, I don't think a lot of people East of PAC 12 territory know that. No, I don't think they get it. No, I think it's like, Oh yeah. The apple cup or the civil war as maybe that it was used to call, you know, all those nice friendly rivalry. This is, we need a name. We need a name for this one. I don't, have I don't anything off the top of my head. But, I feel like yeah. I've heard people call it like the border war or something. I don't know. That's dumb. We need. I'm sure, there's better. already a border war out the, there, though. Academic <laughs> prowess. <laughs> academic <laughs> prowess. No. <Bowl>. No. <laughs> but yeah, yeah this I is the biggest. That. This is the by far the biggest regular season game that I can remember, and I would argue that the way that I, I mean. The people that know me, there's only a few things in this world that I like really love. One of them, I love hunting. I love deer hunting. Unfortunately, this Saturday is opening season. And yeah, I'm skipping opening day to watch this football game. That's how much it means. Like I cannot, there's nothing outside of like the birth of a child that would keep me from watching this game. That's how I feel about it. And even if the birth of the child was happening, I probably would have my phone on. Sorry, Caroline. I'd be watching. I'd multitask. Oh, man. You know, you when you're talking your about things you loved, I expected Caroline to be first, but that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, I thought that's where he was going, but he was just saying, like, it was just to, no, to just... compare to the game. So I I'm making this. I'm, I'm ribbing him a little hunting. bit, but yeah, 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 yeah. But I I thought that's where I was going to. I was like, oh, you probably should have said, said your wife first. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, no, I'm just saying, like, my situation no, I, this weekend. It's like hobbies. I, I get I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Connor, I want to go to you because we we're pretty unscripted this episode. You put in some great notes, but, you know, I don't I don't do scripts that well. What do we You're think of Bo Nix? How do you how, how scared are you? He's he's pretty up there in Heisman. I think he's probably fifth odds according to Vegas as of this morning. This one poll, I think six some places. Very balanced, making some good decisions. Eighty percent completion percentage on the year. Fifteen touchdowns, yep. one interception. He can run with his legs. How much does he scare you in this game? He's for sure not the number one thing that scares me about the Oregon offense. Um, he's He's someone who's a great distributor of the football. I think that's probably the best compliment that I can give him. Um, Damn. He's a game manager. Not, not He's not <laughs> even really a game manager because he, he can make plays happen. He's good at extending the plays and, and making plays happen, but he's not, he's not a guy that's going to 
scare you with his his deep ball accuracy or has elite arm strength um or is going to just take the top off the defense in any way shape or form he's he's a guy that's going to dink and dunk a lot that's also the the what the offense does though so mm-hmm. they lean on their running game they get it to their playmakers in space and let them kind of work a lot of quick throws yep yep so he's He's going to be difficult to get pressure on because they're going to get the ball out quick. Um, but it's going to be about containing him, I think, more than anything, as far as uh, making sure that he doesn't have an easy escape route out of the pocket um, and uh, and and making sure that we're we're reading where the play is designed to go quickly and, and we're not reacting. So we're anticipating kind of where where the play is going to go. Yeah, I think that's a perfect summary. I just wanted to add, I had this stat up. I haven't verified, but on the road as a starting quarterback, Bo Nix is two and nine against ranked teams. So, you know, that is just, it shows you how hard it is to win on the road. And I think that goes a little discounted by a lot of people, you know, when Oregon is coming in as a three point dog or, oh, Oregon's the more complete team, yada, yada. They've struggled on the road. They've had one true road game. I'm not counting at Stanford because Stanford doesn't have yeah. a crowd. It's probably, what, less than 5,000 fans there, and that might be generous. Right. And so just to recap Oregon's season so far as we get into this preview, they got a really nice healthy bump in their stats by beating Portland State 81-7 to to open up the season. Ridiculous. They go to Lubbock, Texas in the middle of nowhere and talk about one score games. You know, UW Arizona has this narrative that we barely squeaked it out. Oregon squeaked it out against Texas Tech 38 to 30. And that sounds, oh, it's an eight point win versus a seven. (laughs) Ha ha math. But they scored a game winning field goal with about 130 left on the clock and then had a return touchdown on Texas Tech's last drive to go up 38-30. So they really struggled down in And down Texas, Texas Tech had been moving the ball on them. Like oh, they yeah. could have definitely scored on that last drive. Yeah, I think their quarterback had 300 plus or around 300. Um I think he threw a bunch of picks too and Texas Tech was still in the game. Yeah. Uh, I think they ran for over 100 on the ground. Yeah, Texas Tech was moving it for sure. They blitzed Hawaii. They killed Colorado in the game, most watched game of the season. Shador Sanders <laughs> going there and their Colorado offensive line getting exposed. And then they go to Stanford, start pretty slow, but then just blow their doors off 42 to six as well. So, you know, Oregon's, you know, been dominant. They have labeled one of the best pass defenses in the country. I think Jamarcus Shepard came out with some motivation saying this is the best secondary and pass defense he's ever seen in his career in college you know what that's about motivating his guys sam when you're watching this organ tape and previewing it do you think it's going to be a struggle for michael Penix and the offense to move the ball on this greatest secondary that jamarcus shepherd has ever seen no not a chance like if you're an Oregon fan going into this game best case scenario is you're able to do what Arizona did. And I think if you throw Jalen McMillan into the mix, that's pretty damn hard. So I think the the best outcome for the Oregon defense is that like you make us sustain 12, 12 play drives. And it's like, we've seen it. We've done it. Like, if you want us to do that, we can do that. 
and we will do that, and we will score the football. But I if mean, you want to get aggressive and you want to come after us, it's done. It's over. Like, our, our offense is not going to be stopped. Like, it, it's going to be potentially slowed down if they play super disciplined, you know, two deep, three deep safety ball. A three like, deep in case of Arizona. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're Oregon, you try to replicate that recipe. And then you hope that, like, I, I just don't know how you stop this offense. Like, from what you've seen this far this year, that like, I don't know that how you stop it. And I don't think I don't think they do right. They tried to limit Michael Penix's possessions, right? That's the only way to stop it. Like Arizona tried just, to do, just try to slow it down. That's mm-hmm. all you can do. And the one thing that I'll call out is Brandon Dorless is one of the best defensive linemen in the conference, maybe in the country. I, I wouldn't throw him in that category quite yet. He's, you know, we talked about Thule is banged up and may or may not play. Dorless himself, he was absent from practice today. So, like, if Dorless isn't playing for Oregon, that that's the one guy on that defense that it will give us problems. Like he, He's the one guy on that defense that can wreck a run play on second down and keep us at third and long, make a sack on third down. Like, Dorless is a key cog in their defensive machine, and if he is not healthy and can't go – that's a way bigger loss for their defense than Thule is to ours, in my opinion. So I don't – I think this is going to feel a lot like the Arizona game, just a lot closer. Like I, I do think that they are for sure the best team that we've played, 100%. Probably will be the best team we play all conference schedule. Like I, I think they're way better than USC. Mm-hmm. So like I don't expect this to be an easy game for us by any stretch of the imagination – but I do feel like our offense is multifaceted and we will put points on the board. It's just a matter of how many and how fast. And I think the question goes back to your conversation around Bo Nix and that matchup, their offense versus our defense. And I think the dink and dunk short, quick hitting passes probably is a benefit to our defense. Like where our defense is really susceptible is getting too aggressive and getting beat over the top over and over and over again. And Oregon can certainly do that. They haven't shown that to be like their bread and butter. What this game is going to come down to is how the university of Washington Huskies tackle. Mm, mm -hmm. And like that will determine whether or not we win the game alone. If we cannot make tackles in open space, this will be whether it's a barn burner or a lower scoring game. Like if we do not make tackles, it's going to come down to like final possession football in my mind. Yeah, very scared of that. Just nightmares of missed yeah. tackles and Bucky Irving running free in the secondary. It's a uh, that stuff dude's nuts. Night- stuff of nightmares. Bucky Irving is very good. Their offense is certainly yes. something to watch. And one thing that's mentioned often is the pressure that each defensive line has got on opposing quarterbacks with Oregon having 18 sacks on the year and UW, I think only registering five or six on the season. And so, you know, we mentioned stopping their rushing attack and they have quick hitting pass plays, but 
Do you guys think we can actually get pressure? This is one of the best offensive lines in the country Oregon has, along with UW. They both have really good offensive lines. What do you see the impact of Braylon Trice and ZTF having? Supposedly two of the best defensive edges in the country, but not necessarily the numbers to back it up. Do you want to take that one, Connor, or I, I can go first? No, I can go. Um, I don't see them being a huge factor in this game, quite honestly, just because of the style of Oregon's offense. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can make just a couple plays, though, that might be enough. You know, if that that Braylon Trice sack in the Arizona game, he, like he was nothing outside of that. That was a massive play. We have to say, though, that Arizona, I can't remember his name, but that Austin lineman he was going against was projected NFL talent. Mm-hmm. By the way, that Arizona line's pretty good. They're really good. So, <laughs> yeah, don't discount that for that what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. 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 And this Oregon offensive line is going to be equally as good. Well, I think, if not better, but yeah. Yeah. I would say, and I think I'm not saying this, I think the intent of how you answered it, Connor, is around like, production i don't think trice or ztf are going to have the impact on the stat sheet at all like if they get a timely sack like connor said that'd be great but i think trice and ztf are probably two of the most important players in this entire game and like i talk about open field tackling is probably number one in my book in terms of things that we need to accomplish to win the game Number two, and I know you mentioned this when we were talking about Bo Nix earlier, is containing his running ability. And so, like, I'm perfectly okay. I would definitely trade, a, you know, three sacks between Trice and ZTF for containing Bo Nix to 20 rushing yards. I would do that all day, every day. Like, if, you, if Trice and ZTF can play discipline football, contain Bo Nix, make Bo Nix beat us with his arm, I'll take that all day over, you know, three sacks, but Bo Nix runs for a Benjamin Franklin and two touchdowns on us. Like all day, I would just take containing him. So, you know, their impact on the stat sheet maybe is not going to be the thing that shows up, but I think the influence that they have on this game will be tremendous. It'll be one of the reasons that we win and it'll certainly be one of the reasons that we lose if they don't play well. Oh man, this is quite the game guys. Five yeah. and no teams college game day. Do you think that does anything to elevate the status of this program and give us a chance to get into the college football playoff? Do you think the actual nuance of being on that big stage makes a difference? Or do you think just the final score, if we just absolutely kick their teeth in, that's what matters the most. Oh, I mean, the stage matters so much for us. I mean, it cannot be overstated the importance of playing this game at this time on this channel with game day. You know, I don't know exactly where they're going to set up. I think people were trying to like red square. I imagine that's where it would be. I know there was like a push to get them on like a barge out on Lake Washington would have (laughs) been sick. But yeah, you're going to have. Suzalo library in the background, I'm sure. The setting matters a lot, more so than most game day experiences because we're playing games at 7.30, 10.30 Eastern time. Like people mm-hmm. judge 
these West Coast teams by the scores more than actually watching the game. And to the point that you made earlier, the fact that we're not only are we in the marquee spot on the marquee channel, there's no other competition really in terms like as a, an average college football fan, if your team is not playing at 1230, you're watching this game. Yep. And so <clears throat> the stage means a lot, particularly in this part of the season. You've got the Michael Penix Heisman hype machine. Like if this is a game that we come out and we play our best football and we win in convincing fashion, whether that's by 10 points or 24 points. That is going to catapult this team in the in the eyes of the national media. This is going to put us in, you know, whether we get bumped up into the top five or not, who knows? But like this game has if we win it in convincing fashion, this is the game that the college football playoff committee is going to point back to because Oregon is a fucking good team. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a good record at the end of the season. They're going to be ranked in the top 15. This is the game that the college football playoff committee is going to point back to and be like, how did Washington play against Oregon? Because if we drop a game, which seems realistic with the schedule that we have, there's going to have to be some strength of schedule considerations. And if this is a game that we win convincingly, that could be the difference between getting in to the final four and not. Like it could not be stated in my mind how impactful this game is to the outlook for our season. Yeah, I think you just look at the all the stats and simulations, like the chance to get into the Pac-12 championship if we win this game for UW as near 75 to 80%, and if we lose, is around 40. Like it yeah. is just so massive on what our hopes are for end goals for the rest of the season. And it's important too to beat a team like Oregon because that's not a team just going for clicks. They're trying to get wins. And oh, it's really yeah, important. I forgot. <laughs> it's really important. I had to slip that in in a sarcastic way. It was uh, perfect. But I think what also just, I mean, it is so relevant to bring that up because Oregon, like I know, I know we've been looking at this so much from a Husky fans perspective and what it means to beat Oregon and, you know, a top 10 ranked Oregon, but from an a average college football fan, that's going to tune into this game. Like, I'm sorry, this might upset some Husky fans, but like Oregon is a national brand. Mm. Like people look at the university of Oregon football team and they're like, Oh, that's a good program. And I think people respect you but if we can come out, and win this game over Oregon. Like they're on the West Coast, there's only two teams that you could beat that would like catch national attention. Oregon and USC. That's it. Like you could Utah might be the best team in the Pac-12 and they have been for multiple years. You could beat them in convincing fashion. National media, national audience could not care. They don't care. No. Nope. Who, uh, you're going to beat Oregon and then you're going to get the loud mouse. You're going to get the Joel Klatz. You're going to get the Pat McAfee's and all his, you know, fans talking about it. Yeah. And so that's what you want. You want to be relevant and you want to have that college football playoff committee. Look back, as you said, say, Oh yep, They beat Oregon. We got to put them in, in the top three. All right, Sam, give us an update on, we talked about McMillan already. We have some other updates as well. Give us a lay of the land about the depth chart and who we expect to be playing and not playing on Saturday. Yeah. So again, I guess I'll preface this by the fact what I mentioned before is, you know, 
part of the reason I love these coaches is that they've been very open and they talk about a lot of things. Their press conferences are actually exciting to tune into, but they have been off base with their injury reports. A little bit, just a little. (laughs) I mean, they've been dangling Jalen McMillan's return in front of us for three weeks now. It was like, you know, oh, he's not even going to miss a game to now he's been out for three weeks. But I feel like at this point, you can look back and be like, okay, they're saving him to get through that bye week and be a full 100% fresh and ready to go for the Oregon game. So I really do believe them this week that Jalen McMillan will be back. I think Romo Dunze will be playing. I'm not 100% sold that Romo Dunze is going to be playing at 100%. Hopefully that's an injury that he can push through because we need them both. And, you know, if you roll out wide receivers, I think the fact that McMillan has been injured and Jeremy Bernard has been thrust into the spotlight as the number three, only plays into our strengths now. You've got, if you're able to roll out Odunze, McMillan, Polk, and Jeremy Bernard, like that is easily, in my mind, the best four receivers in the country. Like I'll put them up against anybody four deep. So hopefully McMillan is back. Hopefully Romo Odunze is healthier than he looked after that onside kick recovery. Mm hmm. And then similarly to McMillan, the other carrot that they've been dangling in front of us in terms of a return is Julius Bulow, who started the season at left guard, which was a little bit of a surprise to us on the podcast. I mean, he's somebody that has, you know, kind of been in and out and fallen out of favor in previous years, but seemed to have really clinged on to that left guard spot. So we've been doing a little bit of a musical chairs shuffling around along the interior offensive line recently so getting julius bulow back i think would be fantastic just to be able to throw him back in the rotation at least and just have him for depth i feel like the guys that have been in there kaleppo the hatchet brothers parker brailsford have done admirably in bulow's absence but having more bodies there it's going to be a very physical game like you know whether people are going to sustain a significant injury or not, you know, hope that doesn't happen, but people are going to get hurt and they're going to have to come out for a series or come out for certain plays. And so having Bulo in in the depth rotation at the interior offensive line positions will be really important. I feel like we've also talked about Thule enough. It, he's been banged up. It seems like he's kind of just been a warrior and banged up his whole career. It feels like he's always dealing with something. I think being the... I mean, he's got to be in his fifth or sixth season now. He's just a veteran. He knows what this game means. He'll be out there. I expect him to be out there. How many snaps, what his snap count is going to be, who knows, but I think he'll play. And then Asa is a – I really don't have a good read on Asa, to be honest. I'm I'm shocked that he hasn't played, to be honest. It was reported that it was like a hand injury, and typically, especially on the defensive side of the ball – if it's a hand injury, you club that bad boy up, put the Q-tip on and get out there, but we haven't seen him at all. So that's also a big one. I know, Connor, earlier you talked about like Thule being the main guy. I mean, we've we've kind of touched on it in our reviews of previous games. Like I think Vincent Nunley has filled in okay. He's also yeah. looked pretty terrible at times. Like, you know, 
Mikel Esteen has looked awful. Cam Fab is, you know, shows up on the stats with interceptions, but mm-hmm. Cam Fab isn't who you want at that safety spot. So how important, how how big of a boost would it be to this defense if Asa can play? It'd be huge. I mean, he's kind of your captain in the secondary too. He's the guy that organizes the whole yeah. secondary. He's one of your most experienced pl- players on on this defensive side of the ball. Um, and he always seems to have his nose around the ball, whether or not he's actually a good tackler or not. <laughs> We've talked about that on this podcast, but he's definitely around the ball and you need to gang tackle in this game. You need multiple yeah. bodies trying to get these ball carriers on the ground because they're tough to get on the ground. And if Ace is one of those that even if he's a guy that just kind of cleans it up or he's the first guy there and at least slows the ball carrier down, those those plays matter. Those are those effort plays. Those are the plays that Ace is kind of known for. So it'd be it'd be awesome to get him back. We've definitely missed him. Um, fortunately, we haven't had you know a tough schedule that we haven't really needed him. But this is the first game on the schedule that yeah you circle it and you're like yeah it'd be nice to have Asa back there just as a safety valve and to come up in some run support plays. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think it'd be huge. All right. Well, we have a lot of players to watch in this. We could probably mention every player. Uh, I'll start first, and then, Connor, I'll pass to you for some Oregon players. Number one, I think just the rushing attack in general from Oregon is just a huge player to watch, specifically Bucky Irving, who's their star running back, ran for 146 yards on us last season in the thriller down at Autzen. I think they ran for 312 yards last year against UW. It's a huge concern. We have to tackle. We have to stop them. We have to limit their gains to five yards less per carry because I think all of them, uh, Whittington, Irving, who's their other one, James, I can't remember. Uh, all, James, their run- yeah. all their running backs are averaging around seven and a half, eight yards a carry this season. Yep. It's Whitt- north of seven. Whittington is hurt though, right? Is he? I think That'd be big. I maybe, I'm, maybe I missed that. I mean, if that's that's huge, if it is. but I'll double have- check, but I thought I heard that. Well, it'd be, it'd be big. It wouldn't be massive, but it would be big. Bucky Irving, we still have to stop. Yeah, so, got to tackle number yeah. zero. We have to stop him. Uh, other players on Oregon are huge, uh, huge concerns as well, though, Connor. Who else do you have? Yeah, I mean, you have to worry about the quarterback. We've talked about him a bit already. Mm-hmm. Um, have to contain Bo Nix, though. And you can't let him just get away with Dink and Dunk and just get comfortable back there. Um, so whether it's making plays on the ball carriers that he's throwing to or making a move a little bit, but not too much that he actually escapes the pocket um, is going to be important in this game. Coverage is really important though, too, when it comes down to, to Bo Nix, because if you're able to cover his first read, he's kind of a one read Charlie, you know, like he's not a guy that's really going to go through the progressions and, and, and beat you that way. So if you're able to cover his first read well, I like our chances at, at stopping Bo Nix and containing him. That's hard to do because this offense works so quickly and it's well-designed, much like the UW offense. So um, well, it's just if they can do that enough. And um, yeah, I, I, th- I, think, I think we can contain him enough in this game. But we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, I agree. I think the first read is 
also relevant in terms of the next player we'll talk about. And the passing attack, they really haven't established a second wide receiver beyond Troy Franklin. Now, albeit Troy Franklin is a hell of a wide receiver. He can do it all. He's definitely on the on the slider side in terms of his build, but he is quick. He's quick in the short to intermediate range routes. He can take the top off the defense, beat you on a double move, great hands. So I imagine this Husky defense is going to be bracketing him all game, doubling him all game. Outside of him, their next leading receivers are, you know, you're starting to look at their running backs, their tight ends. They don't have like a very well-established second wide receiver. So that puts a lot of importance on Troy Franklin. And if you can contain his ability to get open and make easy pitch and catch throws for Bo Nix, that would bode very well for the Huskies, but that's easier said than done. Troy Franklin is going to be playing on Sundays, 100% guaranteed. Potential first-round pick type talent, especially when he goes to the combine. He's going to light it up. And so that's definitely somebody to keep our eyes on for sure. And I think just kind of like summing up this offense, I think the three players to watch that we called out in Bucky Irving, Bo Nix, and Troy Franklin, those are your only three guys that really you need to control. I mean, you can talk about the entirety of the offensive line is probably the the biggest key, you know, group to watch. But like, those are their three guys. If you can control those three guys, we'll win the game. Again, easier said than done, but it's nice that that list is three and that instead, you know, if I'm an Oregon fan doing a podcast with my dummy Oregon friends, you're looking at Michael Penix Jr., Romo Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, Jeremy Bernard, Dylan Johnson. That's a lot more to worry about. So I mean, I think knowing that, Oregon, they're probably discounting Polk and Dylan Johnson. So I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. And let him, let him, let him discount it. My point is, they're very good players that we've called out, but there's three of them. It could be worse. Yeah, and we called out this last one on our list, Brandon Doyless, a little bit because of his injury. I know Dan or Dan Lanning was asked about him, looked a little frustrated at Pretty practice, pissed. a little pissed. Yeah, maybe we should stop having you guys come to practice to the media. So maybe he's a little flustered in watching that UW tape and seeing how to beat us. But there's a million players, to your point, Sam, on UW players to watch. Who's one in your mind that is very key for this game that we haven't really talked about so far. Yeah. I mean, we, we discussed the importance of Tuli Latuli Nasanoa's injury and, you know, I, who knows how much we're going to be able to count on him. And so that really thrusts this player into the spotlight. Ulumu Ale at the defensive line position. I feel like he's been coming on the last couple of games. He's made some splash plays, but at the end of the day, whether he's making tackles or not, he needs to be eating up two to three linemen every single run play. Like he is going to be, whether Thule plays or not, Ale is the guy that makes tackling Bucky Irvin easier for everybody else. If he can keep, you know, the next guy that I'm going to kick over to Connor, if he can keep our linebackers clean 
to make tackles. That is all his job starts and stops with how he plays in terms of eating up blocks at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, he is the number one key to slowing down this rushing attack in my mind. And that is eating up blocks. I think the second key to slowing down the rushing game is making a tackle. And without further ado, I'll let Connor introduce the second key, key player to watch on this Husky defense. That'd be one Edwan Ulofusio. Uh, yeah, Eddie's been been healthy. <laughs> he's been he's been pretty damn good this year. He looks good. Um, so that's one thing that you know he came back for that Oregon game last year, but he really wasn't wasn't, wasn't Eddie himself, right? He he made he kind of made an impact on that fourth and one key stop. Um, he got in the backfield at least. So yeah. whether or not he would have actually made the tackle, who knows? But he's sure the he reason position too. He's the reason why Whittington tried to change yep. the gap yep. that he was running which, into. Which I mean, you could circle that's the play of the game right there. And yeah. He's really important. He's the guy that can actually make plays in, in that linebacker core for this defense. Um, he's one of your key playmakers on defense just in general. And he's probably one of your two or three best tacklers on the team, too. So he he's he needs to wrap up. He's going to be the guy that gets that, you know, Ulumu, Thule, Bandez, Tuatele, whoever it is. Hopefully they're clogging up linemen and Eddie's cleaning up the play. Yeah. Again, I think he's going to need help, though. I don't think he's going to be able to do it all by himself. But I think it starts with Eddie. And if he can control just that middle of the box in the run game, limit those eight-yard carries to four or five, that's going to at least contain this ru- this rushing attack that they're going to have to start to put the ball in the air a little bit. And I think they'll 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 take some shots at that point and I think that some of those risks might not pay off. Um but that's that's us focusing on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously there's someone that we're possibly getting back or actually we are getting back on the offensive of the side of the ball that I know you're really excited about Justin. Yeah, you know me, I like offense. And Jalen McMillan was a huge part of this game last season, eight for 122. We need him back. We need him back. I mean, Roma Dunze is great. Jalen Polk is great. But if you have that three-headed monster back in the game, I mean, how are they they going to possibly cover all of them? I mean, you watch Jalen McMillan on a first-round cornerback, Christian Gonzalez, who we all thought was really good. Going into the NFL draft. We thought the Seahawks were going to pick him at number five. Well, I don't know if we all thought that. But regardless. We thought it was a possibility. Jalen McMillan wrestled the ball that could have been 50-50 jump ball. Penix threw it up, you know, trusted his receiver to get it. And boy, did he get it. Because Gonzalez looked like he had the jump on that ball, but he really wrestled that out. And so I don't think Oregon has a decent secondary, but they don't have a Christian Gonzalez back there. No. No. And so look for him to have a big, you know, knock on wood. He's fully healthy, ready to go. Look for him to have a big day. And I'm just so stoked to watch this offense roll, guys, because, you know, little little clowned on for the Arizona game. Like they had to dink and dunk and struggle through it. I'm I'm excited for them to blow the top off. Oh, how sweet would that be? I know we're maybe jumping a little bit ahead, but like, well, I'll save it. I'll save it. I'll save it. 
I was going to start talking about, I mean, we talked, okay, fuck it. I'll just say it. That got me so juiced that you just said that, like taking the top off the defense. And I just want to say that I think there is a possibility that this could turn out kind of like that 2016 Stanford game. Okay. And I know we talked about this off mic beforehand, but like, I, I don't see knock on wood. I don't see us getting blown out. I think that this is either a really close game, but I also think there's a possibility where Penix is like game day, ABC. This is my moment. The wide receivers are good to go. And there's a chance that we just fucking light it up for 40 plus. How, Gosh. how sick would that be? I'm going to have so many fireball shots if that's going to happen, probably. So pray for my health. It'd be I sicker than I am right now. Maybe. It'd yeah. be sicker than Rona. Maybe. <laughs> We've covered the keys to the game essentially throughout this whole episode. Yeah, so can... I'm just going to recap this pretty quickly. Get Bucky Irving's ass and respective running backs on the motherfucking ground. Tackle yeah. their asses. Get them down. Five yard. If we hold them to five yards a carry, that is a huge win. Honestly. Nope. Yeah. Make Bo Nix throw the ball. What do you call him? One read, Charlie. Andy, what was the name? Make him go to a second read, third read, panic in the pocket. Let's get some. Yeah. And like I said, create those turnovers, panic, throw those interceptions, get those pick sixes, have that Husky crowd rocking because there's going to be 70 plus thousand that purple out. I can promise you Oregon has not played in that type of environment all year. Yes. They've gone to Lubbock. Sleepy Lubbock, 30-something <laughs> Sleepy <And> Joe. <laughs> even sleepier Palo Alto at Stanford. Yeah. They have not been in anything like this. And you can talk about, oh, they dominated Colorado. Oh, they looked really good, blah, 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 blah. It's all been at home. Yeah. Let's see it do it. Let's see them do it in this environment. I mentioned earlier in the episode, I think Bonix is 2-9 and nine against ranked opponents on the road. It's really hard. Yeah. And you mentioned that Stanford game. It has all of the elements and it feels yes. exactly like that one did, except that was a Friday night. So a little Friday night road teams are very bad because that's really yeah. hard. But anyway, it turned out that Stanford team wasn't that great. This is a good Oregon team. This is. Yeah. So not apples to apples, but as far as the moment and the crowd and how loud it was, that's probably the loudest game I've ever been to at Husky Stadium was that Stanford game. I expect this one to be even louder. And blow their top off. I mean, I want the ball. As Matt Hasselback famously said, I want the ball and I want to fucking score. He didn't say the fucking, but I want he to meant score. it. He meant it. <laughs> we win that coin toss. Let's receive. Let's get their ass handed to them. Let's go down, set the tone. Yeah. Like we did last year, I think, in Austin. We got the ball. We scored. Let's set the tone. Or we're going we're gonna to jam this down our throat with our strength, with Michael Penix, these receivers. Yes, we'll run here and there, but we're a passing team. Yeah. I think I, I hope that happens. I think the only other thing I'll call out in terms of like players to watch keys to the game is like, this is a game. You look back at that Oregon game last year, Wayne Talapapa had a big mark on that game mm -hmm. as a, as a receiving back. Dylan Johnson is going to be a big part of this game and they're going to be paying so much attention to our wide receivers. I think, 
if he's able to have a big day, it just further spreads out the defense. And man, what I wouldn't give for us to come out and just go three for three touchdowns, go 21 to seven, 21 to 10. Oh my gosh. I would just lose my mind. I'm not saying that that's likely to happen or not, but it's entirely within the realm of possibility and how great would it feel to start that fast? How fast are we going to start, Sam? It's prediction time. It's college game day. It's the biggest game of the year. I love just for those that like a little bit, you know, behind the curtain view here, we have our episode notes and, Every week we, you know, have our row in our Google sheet with list our predictions. Funny enough, this episode, nobody wrote their predictions down. And I don't know if that's because we don't want to tip it off to each other, like what we're going to predict or if nobody, if that's just like, it's that big of a game and Oregon is really that good that like, I'm sitting here and you're asking me and putting me on the spot. I really don't know how I feel about it. If if you are sold on a prediction, I'll let you go first. If you're no, still no. up in the air. Okay. You, so are you still deciding? Is that what you're saying? You want me to go first? I mean, let's be real. I have you up winning the game for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was in doubt. <laughs> Never in doubt. Ah, man. I think, I think we're going to, I just am going to will it into existence. You know, I'm going full Homer. I think we're going to seize the moment. Size the day, as Alexi Lawless would say. Oh, God. <laughs> I think we're going to come out, and I think we're going to score fast. I think we're going to score early. Take an early lead. This Oregon team is an emotional team. They're a very talented team. But I think if we you know, blow the doors off of them in the first quarter. This is a team that can get into the dumps and just give up on the game. Like that is in their DNA. I'm going UW 45, Oregon 27. Beat down on Montlake. A pretty convincing win, hitting the over, covering the spread pretty easily. What is the spread right now? I haven't minus even three for UW. Yeah, that sounds about right. ESPN analytics gives Oregon a 55% chance to win this year. Yeah, this of course. Game. Of course, ESPN would. Of course they would. I think I think we will win this game in convincing fashion. What did I say? I said 45-27. You did, yeah. All right. You gonna put that in the sheet? Yeah, I'll do it right now. How about you? Justin's prediction is XX to XX. I mean, at least I put my name on the sheet. I'm on the edge of my seat, Mr. Geiger. I hate that I'm going second. I probably should have (laughs) gone first or last, but Oregon has a really good running game. UW's run defense has been better, but, you know, I wouldn't say it's elite. They have held uh, Arizona and other teams to under average yards per carry, though. Oregon has a great receiver in Troy Franklin. Bo Nix is a Heisman candidate. Their secondary is the best that Jamarcus Shepard has ever seen. This is going to be a tough game. 
There are going to be some quackers in the fan in the stands. Some quackers. Oregon's going to score some points, Sam. Well, yeah, probably like not that many though. Some, <laughs> but not that many. They're going to score some points. Bo Nix can get it done on the ground. He, we've talked about this dink and dunk, but he has shown he can see uh, whatever his first read is and throw the ball a little bit deeper. And so it's going to be a tough game. With all that said, though. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Tell, talk to me, Justin. Talk to me. We have Michael motherfucking Penix, Sam. Woo! You betcha. Bo Come Madunze. again. Dunze. Jalen McMillan. What? Jalen Polk. What? It's. I don't know how they're going to stop us. I've looked. I've watched the secondary. I've watched a lot of YouTube highlights and bullshit. I don't I don't see it. I really don't. And call me stupid. Call me a homer because I am. But I don't really see how they stop us barring something crazy. And so UW is going to go down the field and score almost every time we get the ball. We just need a couple stops. Yeah, baby. And this game is 49 to 31 oh, over yeah. Oregon and send those crying ass cookies and cream motherfuckers back to Eugene and their hippieville where they belong. Oh, dude, I love you so much for saying that. <laughs> also, you bring up a good point. Their jerseys look like a goose shat all over them. They look no. terrible. You know what, UW? They're going to be in their all purple. I think what we wore at Autzen last year, where we have a gold helmet and we're going to have the purple tops and the purple bottoms, I believe. Did we figure out are we doing gold tops or we or gold uh, helmets versus the purple chrome helmet? I don't think that's technically been announced, but I just because they haven't said the purple chrome helmet, I'm making assumptions, which yeah, they say about assumptions, but I just, yeah, I just feel like it'll be the gold, but we'll see. I hope it's the purple chrome. I know this is a total tangent and Connor will get to your prediction in a second, but since I opened the door on Jersey colors here, like we talked about the national stage. We talked about like, we've got some big time recruits coming in. For whatever reason, like whether you like it or not, as an old head, the all purple jerseys with the purple chrome helmets are very popular with the young crowd. And so with this being like a coming out party, set the national 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 stage for some of these younger kids, maybe watching UW for the first time, coming out with the purple chrome helmets, I think would be sick. I, I don't remember the last time we did that. I don't know if we have them anymore. I know we use them for like photo shoots, but I think if we went all purple legit with the helmets, that'd be awesome. So anyways, I really remember I'll... the last time we wore them. Connor, Sam and Score I have being homers, big, big UW wins. What do you have? It's going to be uncomfortable guys. I'm sorry. Oh, geez. we need the realism. I love it. I love we shouldn't it. have saved you for last. We should have done you first. No, we, we got to ground our listeners. I got a one-score game. No. 42 to 35. Who wins? UW. Okay. All right. Is it like an Arizona one-score game where we we are comfortable the whole game and they get a last-second touchdown and onside kick, or is it like back and forth the entire game? No, it's like possibly a game-winning touchdown drive. Okay. Who, who scores? Who scores the game-winning touchdown? Devin Cole. 
Oh, I like it on third down. He's had a case sure. of the third down drop sure. season. Yeah. <laughs> I remember him dropping a fourth and one. How about how about this? He's the guy to redeem himself this year. That's what I'm saying. Pay- Peyton Henry redeemed himself last year with his game-winning kick. Devin Colt dropped a fourth and one, I think, against Oregon in 2019, I believe. Yep. Yes. He redeems himself. Fourth and one from the 16-yard line. Touchdown. Game Touchdown. over. Touchdown. Yep. Done. Would, uh, would we go for it on fourth and one from the 16 on the last drive of the game, though? I mean, how much I, time is left, yeah. you know? Maybe. Maybe. Dude. All right, boys. That'd be ballsy. Big game. 12.30 p.m. ABC, Channel 4 if you're in the Seattle area. Butts and seats. Must-see TV. Sam's going to find a way in bumfuck Washington to watch the game. Oh, yeah. That means you have to as well. I'm sure Connor will be watching it at his home. I will be at the game. I'm sure I will not have a voice after it's the purple out. So it's going to be, it's going to be a loud one. Anything to leave our listeners with before we sign off gentlemen. This is why we are fans of this sport. Mm, Siri doesn't know either. (laughs) Siri doesn't know what the fuck's going (laughs) on. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, these are the games that like, this is why we're fans of this sport. This is what we live for as, as sports fans these types of games. Yeah. And yeah. I'll say this. Kalen DeBoer has been a great hire so far. We were number eight last year. What were we, we went what 11 and two mm-hmm. we're off to a five and zero start. We've already crowned him in the state of Washington. We think he's the best thing since sliced bread. The country doesn't know Kalen DeBoer yet. Kalen DeBoer yet. This is his coming out party. This is his moment to put University of Washington on the map. We're coming to the Big Ten. This is the moment to let everybody know UW is fucking back in a serious way. And like I said, it ain't no guess is what it's going to be. 45 to 27, your University of Washington Huskies be ranked top five next week. Heard it here first. All I care is about that 6-0, and baby. 6-0. and one, One game every at a week, time. as they say. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already. And leave us a message via the Spotify for Podcasters <laughs> link in our description. Until next time. Fuck the ducks and go dogs. <laughs>